Hello everyone, my name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. And welcome back to another episode of What Makes It Great. On this episode, we're talking about 1935's A Night at the Opera, directed by Sam Wood. Not ranked on the original list, and then on the 10th anniversary list, ranked at number 85. 85? That's... I'm okay with that. I think that's pretty good. Um, Duck Soup is... Yeah, I think that's a fair ranking. That's a good question. I can look it up real quick. Okay, yeah, let's see. This is another Marx Brothers movie, um, like Mm -hmm. our one... Two episodes ago, Duck Soup, um, but at a different Duck Soup was studio. 85. Yeah, yeah, different studio. But Duck Soup was 85 on the original list and was number 60 on the anniversary list. Okay. I like that. I think those are pretty accurate. Um, yeah, I agree. I think they're worthy. Mm-hmm. So this is another favorite of ours from our childhood. Um, I think it was probably the third... Maybe even the second movie of the Marx Brothers that I that I saw growing up. I have no idea the order of the Marx Brothers movies that I saw. I, you know, because I'm a couple four years younger than you. I, mm-hmm. My memory on that subject's a little bit blurrier, but it was probably Night at Casablanca. Maybe that was definitely the first one okay. that I saw. Okay. And then I think the second one might have been this one. It was either this one or Duck Soup, but that, I think it was this one. That's funny because Night at Casablanca is like one of their um their last movies, one of their latest movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, and it may not be able to tell, uh, from the tone of our voices, a long week, we're kind of tired, but I'm really, really excited to talk about this movie with you. Um, <laughs> I had a blast watching it again. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in a little while and, and, um, and I really enjoyed rewatching it. I think this is, this is definitely one of their better ones. Let's, uh, start it off with, um, where we watched it and how we watched yeah. it. You go first. Okay. Well, I have, this is, I own just about all of the Marx Brothers, Marx Brothers movies on DVD. Um, they have a couple of really great box sets available. There's one that's like the silver screen classics, and it's the first five ones with all four brothers, uh, the ones that they did with Paramount. That's um, with Duck Soup is in that, is in that set. And mm-hmm. then they have another box set of basically the rest of their movies, yeah. um, including this one. And so um, I own, luckily, luckily, I own them all. So popped in the dvd and and hit play and and uh, it was a little scratched up and i had some problems watching the end but oh, it was a little luckily, scratched up <laughs> yeah luckily uh i can put together some of the ending from memory because i've seen it countless times mm-hmm. but the dvd also has a pretty good commentary track from leonard malton oh nice so i gave that a shot to watch that too who is leonard malton he's a uh, famous movie critic and okay. uh, movie historian so Okay. Um, he provide he provides a good commentary track on it. He's not the inside the actor studio guy, is he? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, but he kind of <laughs> similar looking. I mean, in the sense he's got this like this beard. I think he's really famous for his beard. I remember <laughs> we got the they re released the Star Wars movies on VHS in the nineties, mm-hmm. and uh, they had introduction video interview with George Lucas inter- being interviewed by Leonard Maltin on all three of the movies. Oh, cool. And so that's, that's how I remember first seeing him. But he's got like a lot of books about the 1001 movies you must see before you die and all kinds of stuff. So Damn. he's a pretty well-renowned uh, film critic. Pretty good commentary track. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it provided some good insight just into the Marx Brothers history a little bit and, hmm. and, um, and some of the things we had talked about in the previous episode. and. And just some of the 
the history of the, the actors and the and just some basic kind of film stuff that I thought was kind of interesting to hear. So if you have the DVD, I recommend giving it a shot, watching the the commentary by Leonard Maltin. Well, I have the DVD, and by the DVD, I mean your DVD. Uh, you came <laughs> over and we exchanged, and I tried to watch it last weekend. Um, so today's Friday, so I tried to watch it last Saturday, and mm-hmm. the, you were like, yeah, it's a little scratched up at the end, I don't watch it. Um, yeah, it stopped like 30 or 40 minutes in the middle of the movie. Like, it just wouldn't keep going. My DVD player just wouldn't oh, play it. Um, but I watched it again on Wednesday night. Um, I rented it from Amazon. Um, it was, like, super cheap, $2 or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I am so glad that I did that because it was not only, you know, the full movie intact. Um, it was also in, like, HD, and it was just, like, awesome it was just i don't know the best quality marx brothers movie i've ever seen nice. <laughs> nice. um but i yeah i loved it it just cheered me up in the middle of the week the marx brothers are just so so funny um mm. but let's get into let's get into talking about the movie so you said it was in 1935 we're still in the middle of the 30s yeah still in the middle of the 30s so this is their first movie changing movie studios like you'd mentioned before so they did their first five with paramount and then they got then they went over to MGM and they were kind of wooed by the producer and the head of production there, Irving Thalberg. Yeah, I've uh, I watched a little interview. Uh, I watched some interviews with Groucho Marx to do some research on this. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Irving Thalberg is he definitely deserves to be talking about. Yeah, I mean we've already talked about the Marx Brothers. Uh-huh. I don't so I don't in terms of key players and key concepts. I only have one, and it's Irving Thalberg. Okay, cool. So let's get into Irving Thalberg so, then. Yeah, he was a producer of the movie, and he was the head of production at MGM from the age of 26 mm-hmm. and until his death in 1936 at the age of 37 from pneumonia. Yeah. So he died just one year after this movie. Yeah. Um, he actually died while they were filming the next their follow-up movie, A Day at the Races. Yeah, that's crazy. It's so sad. Yeah, I know. Um, he died from at the age of 37 from pneumonia, but he's credited for innovating a lot of things for the film industry like preview screenings you know showing an early cut of the movie to an audience and then getting their feedback and then making changes Mm -hmm. Um, reshoots story conferences with writers and all of them kind of throwing out ideas and pitching ideas and really working it out that way Mm -hmm. and uh, he also was one of the co-authors of the production code and he produced over 400 films in his lifetime. Which is nuts. In his very short lifetime. Yeah, in his like 11-year, 12-year like career or something like that. Right, exactly. And um, the, there's the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award that's given out by the Academy. Um, as an Academy Award, it's kind of become a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, but it's still given out to this day. I think um, fairly recently some... Um, I forgot who got, there was some big name, I think within the last year or two that got the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, basically when he ever, he met the Marx brothers, he, he liked their stuff, but he thought that duck soup was, was too much, too much craziness and there was no story and no characters or anything like that. So he really wanted to take all of the funny comedy and introduce more story and character elements into the Marx brothers movies. Yeah. And that's what this is. That's what you go so, for. I'm going to yeah. compare like this movie and Duck Soup a lot. Um, but yeah, and that's just a blatant difference between this one and Duck Soup. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just like a, I don't know, just a lot more 
I feel you know how Zeppo was like the straight character, the straight man. Mm-hmm. Whenever there was the four of them, and this one we've right. got uh, Alan. What's his name? Alan Jones, name playing Riccardo Baroni, and yeah, uh, Riccardo Baroni. <laughs> and he, um, I don't know, he was just like, just all of the characters, like him and the other love interest, Kitty Carlisle. Uh, they mm-hmm. were just more likable. Their story was developed more, um, and we'll, I'll talk about some more of the differences and like the what the brothers do um, in a little bit, but. Yeah, keep going with Irving Thalberg. So he really like introduced a lot of these changes to make them more story driven and not like anarchy driven. Right. And so you see that with with this movie and then their follow up movie, A Day at the Races, which was the last one that he w- had some involvement in. Because like I said, he died during the production of it. And and um, Groucho commented that after Thalberg's death, my interest in the movies waned. I continued to appear in them, but the fun had gone out of picture making. So wow. he really, really looked up to Irving Thalberg. And as a matter of fact, A Night at the Opera was quoted as Groucho's favorite movie of his. Yeah. I, uh, so the interview that I watched, um, it was to him talking about, it was like in the, he was, oh, Groucho was older. It was like in the early 60s or something. I think he died in the 70s. Or maybe it was mid-60s and he died in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he was on some interview and he was talking about both Irving Thalberg and Margaret Dumont. Um, and he just to refresh everybody's memories i know it was only two weeks ago but um you know groucho is the fast talking cigar smoking thick mm-hmm. mustache glasses wearing just wisecrack like basically nobody is um exempt from his right ridiculous humor and he's just gonna you know pay no respect to anything and that's just like who he is um so he was talking about Margaret Dumont and he was like, she never got one of my jokes. And he was like being, <laughs> being kind of mean to her. And it was like post-mortem too. Um, but then he started talking about Irving Thalberg or maybe it was vice versa. He talked about Irving first and I was kind of, yeah, like shocked a little bit. I was like, wow, Groucho is being, he's being serious. Like he was just in such admiration for him still. He was like, you know, the Marx Brothers were crazy. And then Irving Thalberg came around and those were our best two pictures that we did with him. Like it mm-hmm. was just so sad and so, so bad for Hollywood to lose such an amazing uh, producer and just such an amazing person. He's like, if it wasn't for him, then, yeah, we would have never made those, like, two of our best works. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it, the fact that he was so young, too, it reminds me a lot of the, man. the producer for the Frankenstein. I don't remember off the top of my head what his name was, but how young he was, too, to be in charge of a, of a movie studio. And I know. And... And just right at the, it's just, it was this kind of like, I'm, I just keep this image of like this young renegade group of people that kind of take control of this fledgling industry that no one really knows what it is yet. It's not fully formed. And then they fully form it kind of in the thirties mm-hmm. and we're seeing it. It's just like all these young, like it's it just, there's, it's, it seems like it's almost becoming like an archetype of this young movie mogul that's just going to throw caution to the wind and, and make the industry into what it is today yeah um another story on i'm trying to look up groucho's age right now like when he was born he groucho was born in 1890 uh, okay this movie's in th- came out in 35 35? when did thalberg die let's see 36 oh wow okay so he was 36 years old for this okay um mm-hmm. so groucho is still you know older than him like in his 40s um yeah he's about Oh, he's about 10 years older than him. Okay. Yeah, so, I think he was about 10 years. I was going to think maybe that was a bigger age dynamic, but there's another interview, another story that Groucho told about. So they came over from Paramount, is it right? 
mm-hmm. and then now they're at MGM, and Thalberg is their producer. Um, Thalberg did 400 movies in his 12-year stint, so Groucho in one interview was saying how he was always doing a million projects at once, and you could like never really get a second of his time, um, especially towards the end of his career if he's 36. Um, right, yeah. You know, like he's just probably so, so busy. Um, but a really funny story that he said about um, this movie, the filming of this movie, um, like I forget what it was. They wanted to meet with Thalberg at around like 10 in the morning or 10.30 in the morning, like when, after the the shooting was done or something, after a scene was done. Um, and Thalberg was there for part of the filming and then he like left and then that pissed off um, Groucho, Chico and Harpo. And, <laughs> and so in retaliation, the next day they were like, okay, you know, be here. And he wasn't here, there again. And um, so they went to his office. We fool him. Yeah, no, we fool him. Yeah, we know show up. Yeah. <laughs> so they go into his office and um, they, they were like, he said, Harpo had a bag of potatoes. I don't know where he found a bag of potatoes. Um, and they <laughs> the go. The most Harpo thing. <laughs> no. Like in the world. They just, another thing with these interviews I was watching Groucho, these guys like, and Groucho specifically, I don't think that he broke character very often. Like, I don't think mm. there's much, like, footage or much, like, interviews of him being himself, you know? He's always in character. Um, right. And this Harpo thing with the potatoes made me feel like Harpo was always in character, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so they go to Thalberg's office after he doesn't show up on them twice or leaves early twice. Um, and they, <laughs> he was like, and, you know, he had the bag of potatoes. And so we, uh, you know, we went into his office. He started a fire in the fireplace and. You know, we we took off all of our clothes as boys do. We're just sitting there completely naked, and we we're all roasting potatoes. And yeah. uh, and then Thalberg came into the office, and uh, he was uh, you know shocked and kind of uh, <laughs> thought it was a little entertaining, I guess. And he never uh, left our set. Whenever you know, he, like always did what we asked after that. <laughs> he was like he listened to so us after bizarre. that and took us seriously. But like, what a strange way to get their attention. Um, but that story highlights what we had talked about in the, with Duck Soup about how no one wanted to work with these guys because uh-huh. they were so unpredictable and so ridiculous and yeah. over the top and hard to control. Yeah. I even saw, um, I'm going to just go on a little Groucho rant here, specifically <laughs> him, like he was even hard for his brothers to work with. I think it was because he couldn't break character and his character is like by nature an ass <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he's a really funny ass but he's still an ass <laughs> um but yeah no he was just just so ruthless and stuff but later on in his career um you know he was like a all of them are like kings of hollywood around this time and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. some of the fathers of comedy um for mo- like at least for cinema and stuff like that but i mean they're comedians you know and um i saw an interview of him on some show of bill cosby's like bill cosby apparently had like an interviewing show in like the 70 or something mm. and groucho was on it and it was awesome it aged really well because you know cosby the bill cosby part no no no. it aged really well because it's pairing up this ass of groucho who at this point he was like it was in the 70s so he was close to his death um so he was like a really old man um but he was still so sharp and he just mm-hmm. ripped cosby apart and uh, he was, you know, I forget, Cosby asked him about something about death or something like that or death or life. Um, and he was like, so I forget what his wise joke was, but he was like, 
you know, it was like, I like to have a little death in my life every day or something like that. And he's like, you know, just gotta, I forget what this dumb joke was, but then he like, the punchline was like, you know, just like the people watching your show, they've got some <laughs> death like right now. And he's just like, <laughs> just ripped apart Cosby and Cosby just didn't even like really laugh too much. And it was mm-hmm. awesome. He like kind of put him in his place. Um, the guy who posted the video is like, um, Cosby was like the king of comedy at this time, but Groucho just like totally schooled him and dethroned him and was like no you were no <laughs> i don't need to respect you but that's what he always did he didn't need to respect anybody but anyways i just wanted matter. to tell he that can, story he can about take the, anybody down he can take anybody down including thalberg who was the king of mgm and just like an amazing producer of the time but all it took was mm-hmm. some some uh brothers being naked and some potatoes <laughs> and just a camp out <laughs> stupid story anyways okay back to the movie <laughs> yeah so that's all i have uh, from, uh, from thalberg so do you want to dive into the movie uh yes um okay so mm-hmm. let's get going so night we at the st- opera yeah, we, we start off with their mrs claypool played by margaret dumont oh my god i love she's this at scene. a restaurant waiting to she's at a seat a table for two waiting for Otis B. Driftwood at, for, to meet for dinner. We had and Rufus uh, T. Firefly in the last one. Now we've got Otis B. Driftwood, mm-hmm. which is Groucho. And that's Groucho Marx, yes. And so um, she calls the waiter over and says, you know, I'm waiting for Otis B. Driftwood. And so he goes around paging Mr. Driftwood, Mr. <laughs> Driftwood. And the table right behind her There's, with his back to her yeah. is groucho and he's been having dinner with another woman this entire time (laughs) (laughs) oh man i forget what he says but she's like i've been waiting here for a whole hour or something like that and (laughs) he's been with your back to me (laughs) yeah (laughs) when i take a woman out to dinner i expect her to look at my face that's the (laughs) price she has to pay I can't grab Joe. <laughs> yeah, so basically he's like, he's like, you've already had dinner. He's like, very well, then we'll have breakfast. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> he sits down with her and they get into talking and we learn that he's some sort of manager kind of, uh-huh. or like, like business a talent theater agent or agent. something. Yeah. yeah. And she's basically just a wealthy widow again. Always. Every <laughs> single time. A wealthy widow who never gets his jokes. That's her, the role that she <laughs> fits. And uh, she's trying to employ Driftwood. uh, He's trying to employ Groucho to get her into high society. And Mm -hmm. he comes up with this plan that she needs to be introduced to Herman Gottlieb, the president of the New York Opera Company. And if Mm -hmm. she invests in the New York Opera Company, that will be her way into high society. But of course, he's going to take some money from making this deal and... And that's really all that Groucho's in for. He's out to try and see how much money he can scam out of any situation. Always. Always. In this movie, yeah, always. I think, I don't know, I don't, haven't pinned down the exact satire in this movie. In Duck Soup, it was very obvious they were just satire. Like, you know, talking about, like, dictators on the rise and just stupid wars and things. Um, this one was probably about the the film industry, acting industry, and they talk about a lot of the contracts and a lot of... You know, people taking money and stuff like that. But I don't know. I if think you it's a any... lot of the high society and rich, the wealthy elite that go to the opera too. I mean, it's yeah, it's just kind of. I mean, he, they're able to scam pretty much anybody in this movie. But it's also again in the middle of the depression, and uh-huh. who's got money and to go to the opera during this time? You know, That's it's true. the Marx Brothers are the epitome of like 
the working class uh-huh. um, and they're just skewering the opera yeah. and the high class rich people that go to the opera and fund the opera. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Um, and then we get, so he, <laughs> well, first off the, the film is set in Milan. So they're in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know that. We don't know that. Yeah. I had to read that, but they are in Italy. Um, because of that awesome scene on the boat with all the spaghetti, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> you know why we don't know that? Because they don't have titles or anything, and they don't really well, care. Well, originally, there were many references to the fact that they took part in Italy, and that this movie begins in Italy. Um, it, it makes sense, you know, the birthplace of opera and all of these things. Um, but then, what happens shortly after this movie is World War Two, and Italy... Are the bat are one of the access powers, yeah. you know? So, the film studio Dang. cut the movie and removed any references to Italy in the movie, and huh. that's the version of the movie that survived. So we have this version. The only version of this movie is with all of these any cuts to any part of Italy that gets mentioned. It's cut. So like sometimes there's some really jarring hard cuts in this movie wow. that make that seem like what there's must have been a frame or two missing from something there and it's because those are any time that they mentioned italy that's why oh my gosh okay i was going to talk about the editing being kind of poor but that's why they were taking out like italian references really crudely removing references to italy and that's i learned that in the commentary track the from leonard malton that that's why there's some really sudden jump cut kind of things in moments in this movie it's because during world war ii they cut the camera negative uh the film negative i mean sorry to remove any references to italy from the movie and that's the version of the movie that we have today whoa and it whoa. starts in this first scene i think there's some spots in this very first scene in this restaurant where there's some really weird cuts yeah really and really hard is. i thought it was just like them trying to you know change the audio or fix the audio like some of the takes mm-hmm. or something of the audio weren't very good and so they just like hard cut it to match like whenever they said it i don't know but wow that's i did not know that mm-hmm. okay anyways back to the story so he's going to introduce um miss claypool to mr gottlieb and it's mr just, gottlieb, mr. <laughs> just right off the bat a hilarious <laughs> stupid stupid one of my favorite things we used to quote all the time but it's yeah, he, so <laughs> dumb why i don't know why he does it and then he's like it's because he's quitting he's like i'm sorry and then he gets right back into it where yeah. was i yeah mr claypool mrs golly mr golly mr claypool mr claypool mr golly <laughs> just over and over and he starts doing a little dance oh man. i could go on all night but it's tough on my suspenders yeah <laughs> Mr. Driftwood. Ah, Gottlieb, uh, allow me. Uh, Mrs. Claypool, Mr. Gottlieb. Mr. Gottlieb, Mrs. Claypool. Mrs. Claypool, Mr. Gottlieb. Mr. Gottlieb, Mrs. Claypool. Mrs. Claypool, I could go on like this all night, but it's tough on my suspenders. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. Mrs. Claypool, Mr. Gottlieb, Mr. Gottlieb, Mrs. Claypool, Mrs. Claypool, Mr. Gottlieb, Mr. Gottlieb. Now, if you four people want to play bridge, don't mind me. Go right ahead. Oh, God. Um, but Mr. Gottlieb is a villain. So he's the bad guy of the one movie, of the yes. things that Thalberg one definitely introduced was villains for the brothers to target their anarchy towards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as opposed to just ripping apart everybody, I mean he still you know pokes a lot of fun at Margaret Dumont, but um, not as much. And they're kind of a little nicer to some of the supporting character, to like the extras and to other people that come into contact with them. Unlike you know Duck Soup that anybody who came near chico or harpo they were just screwed <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, one thing I noticed, I was about to make a comment. I was like, you know how you know they're bad guys? Is it because they're not funny. Yeah. And then I realized, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I think in this movie and the, in Duck Soup, I don't think any non-Marx Brother character makes a joke. Huh. I think all of the jokes are exclusively done by the Marx Brothers in these movies. Yeah, that sounds about right. Everybody else is kind of like loosely moving the story forward in the other ones. Um, in this one, they are just moving the story forward. Yeah, they don't serve any comedic purpose. They're 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 there to fl- flush out or flesh out the rest of the story or, or you know, create the romantic angle or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But Gottlieb is for sure one of the villains of this movie. Mm-hmm. You um, can tell because he's got a, a beard and a mustache. That's what you can tell. <laughs> he just looks and sounds angry. <laughs> yeah. Um. What was I gonna say? He's a great actor, by the way. I mean, he is. He later on pops up in A Night in Casablanca, the Marx Brothers later movie, as the German villain. And, and uh, right. he's, he's just got such a great, strong German bad guy type of voice and look to him. Um, I'm sorry. We should, I should have said this earlier at the beginning during the production. I've got one thing I wanted to mention about Groucho being an ass um, mm, and, and flipping over. So Duck Soup was written by uh, Bert Calmer and Harry Ruby, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then this one was not written by them. This one was written by um somebody named somebody Kaufman and Riskin, Riskin. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. George S. Kaufman, I believe, is like a really famous playwright. Yeah, they're like and Maury Riskind. Um, they're both like apparently huge in the time. Um, and there's a quote from Groucho where they did like the first draft of this um screenplay, and it was written by. Bert and Harry, and mm-hmm. then this is quoted on their Wikipedia page. Groucho shouted, "Why fuck around with second-rate talent? Get Kaufman and Riskind." And, uh, <laughs> and like, I was like, "Oh shit, Groucho! Like, those guys did so much for you. Like, they did Duck Soup. You know, they did like some of your big movies. Like, damn, man." So this just goes to show how hard um, he was to work with. Yeah, well, it also speaks to Thalberg, and the the idea was like not only we're we gonna build up the Marx Brothers with and add story and characters to to their movie, but we're gonna put a big budget behind it, and yeah. so it's it looks a lot bigger than Duck Soup or any of the earlier movies. This is they there was another thing where it was like they they wanted to test out the jokes for this movie, and so they would they got. Thalberg's permission to set up a stage show where oh, wow. they would test out these jokes in front of a live audience with t- stopwatches and timers to time how long they were laughing so they knew exactly how long to take the the to have the pause in the a, a, a stretch of silence in between jokes in the film so that people could stop laughing in time to hear the next joke. They oh, wow. timed and practiced everything out and rehearsed it. Um, and it drove the production cost for the movie way, way up because, but Thalberg was like, it's, we, this is going to be like a big budget comedy movie. And we're going to treat this movie as if it's a big, like a big tentpole kind of movie. So, um, that's something you don't see, or like the kind of confidence that you have in a production studio to get behind a project like this was, is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, yeah, big writers, big production, Irving Thalberg's the man. Um, okay. Now back to the story. <laughs> now back to the story. Basically, <laughs> Gottlieb wants to use Mrs. Claypool's money to get this tenor, Rodolfo Laspari, 
um, to come to New York to perform for the New York Opera Company. And that's what he wants. He wants to pay, get Mrs. Claypool's money to pay him $1,000 a night. For the greatest tenor in the world, right? Yes. Yes, the greatest tenor of the world. And Groucho, yeah, he wants his money. (laughs) A thousand dollars a night. What does he do? What does he, he sings? <laughs> and then it cuts there, to I him. Get a, I can get a, a a record of Minnie the Moocher for seventy five cents. <laughs> he's like, I could even get Minnie then, for less than that. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, for a buck and a quarter, you can get Minnie, yeah. which is real risky. Yeah, that is. Uh, you got a prostitution joke yeah. in the Marx Brothers movie. Yeah, he does a a good number of risque jokes in this one. Um, mm-hmm. I got stuff to say about that even before we get to the story again. I just thought that was funny. In all those interviews after the Marx Brothers and stuff, Groucho is like one of these clean comedians. He's like, I don't know, they like don't swear. They don't use, you know, they're not just out front, like out in public being crude. He's just got to do it in some witty, sly way. But it's still risque humor. It's still dirty jokes. He's super dirty. Yeah. But he's against dirty jokes is what he says. Yeah, he does it in a very like tongue in cheek side like subtle way or uh-huh. like where he's like trick he's like almost like watch this and then like I'm going to reference this really dirty thing but maybe <laughs> only half the audience is going to catch it cuz I'm going to do it so quickly and subtly. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, that's you know, no no fault to Margaret Dumont for missing some of his jokes. He's uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's crazy. Anyways, okay, so he wants uh some of the $1000 a night and then Erman um, Gottlieb says he's the world's greatest tenor, the the best tenor in the world, and it cuts to mm-hmm. Laspari on stage, um, in costume, singing some opera. Um, yeah, and then we see um, Tommaso backstage, Harpo in his dressing room. Oh, that's Lasbari, right. Cuts, dressed it, up like a right. clown. That's right. It cuts to Harpo. That's right. Yeah, and um, he's pretending to sing in front of his mirror in the dressing room, and then Laspari comes in, and. Is a terrible human being. Oh, he just He's beats like, take off Harpo. that clown costume, and uh, and then there's he's wearing a sailor outfit under that, <laughs> and then he takes that off, and he's wearing a dress under it, <laughs> and uh, eventually he just keeps he like grabs a belt and whips him and fires him and kicks him out into the hallway. Yeah, he keeps this like smacking really, really him terrible. with like a, a a stick or a belt or something, and he just keeps on hitting him. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he goes out in the hall and he's all like kind of sad looking. And then the female lead, uh, Kitty Carlisle, comes out, the love interest. Rosa. Rosa, that's right. That's her name. And she's like mm-hmm. comforts Harpo for a second. Um, and then Laspari comes back out and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to. Like now that this you know woman's watching, come back in. And then mm-hmm. uh, he brings Harpo back into the room and he's like, behind the closed yeah, door again getting whipped again yeah I'm like damn poor harpo but it's okay he gets his just desserts in a couple minutes <laughs> mm-hmm. so we we already we've introduced that laspari is who's the greatest tenor in the world is also the greatest asshole in the world yep he's and the villain he's also in love with rosa uh-huh um and rosa and harpo are at least friendly they they get along well and she takes pity on him uh-huh um so we know that rosa is a good person and then we go to rosa in her dressing room and she gets a knock on the door for ricardo baroni mm-hmm. and we find out that they are an item or they at least they would like to be an item mm-hmm. and that laspari and rosa are the stars of the opera and ricardo baroni is 
a chorusman. That's right. He's, he's just a like a background singer, an aspiring tenor. Uh huh. Right. With a very good voice, and I gotta mention that all three of them actually, I'm pretty sure, were opera singers. I know Kitty Carlisle had an opera career. I know Laspari had an opera career, and he was actually a, a baritone in real life. And they were like saying it was actually pretty hard for him to sing. Um, oh really? That like some of these high parts. Um, he wasn't like. Well, Alan was... Jones was a singer as well, so that's Good. really him and really Kitty Carlisle singing in these in this movie. Uh huh. Um, and they're good. They they're really good. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I would often fast forward through their songs. Oh, every single time. <laughs> it's the it it slows the movie down and it makes the movie a lot longer than probably needs to be. That's personally why I think I prefer Duck Soup over this movie, just because it's quicker, it's funnier, it's more to the point. It's mm-hmm. like I want to watch a Marx Brothers movie to laugh. Yeah. But with reading of all about Thalberg and his intention behind it and everything, I appreciate what, what's being done. It's just sometimes it gets a little slow for me. Yeah. I, I appreciated it this time because of all the research and stuff. But yeah, oh, as a kid, those VHSs we had of these movies were like worn down at that part because we just fast forward all the time mm-hmm. through all the singing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, some, and sadly, even the Harpo songs too, we would fast forward through a lot of oh, those yeah. too, his harp playing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but now once we get to those scenes, I'll talk a little bit more about that, but all in all, yeah. um, you know, we've talked about music for these films. I, the music in this, I really enjoyed it. I mean, the opera songs and the opera singing, you know, sure, whatever it can take them or leave them. But, um, I mean, some of them like the Il Trovatore or whatever the song is, um, mm-hmm. it's like a very famous, like, you know, that's in it at one point, And that's, that's really fun. Um, but this first opera song um so it's like after harpo's sad and goes back and and meets kitty carlisle and gets beat then baroni pops into rosa's room and then they go on stage or something um and they start performing or they show maybe um mrs claypool and mr gottlieb in the the booth above the opera waiting for it to start or something Um, and it's kind of cutting back and forth because we also get introduced to chico's character backstage and yeah and we do some things with them, but it kind of, that's happening while the opera is going on. So uh-huh. it's kind of cutting back and forth a little bit. And so, yeah, so it's up in the booth watching the opera. Um, it's Claypool and Gottlieb and no Groucho. And then it gets to the stage or something and Laspari is performing with Rosa. And then it goes to the side of the stage and it's uh, Chico and he's talking to uh, Ricardo Baroni. And he's uh, mm-hmm. telling him how he needs a manager. And he's like, you can have the best manager in the world, me. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you crazy. Yeah, you crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they studied at the conservatory together. They're all they're friends from a long time ago. That's right. That's right. And that that tips off kind of that uh, Chico and Harpo are musicians or whatever. They studied at the conservatory or something with Ricardo. Mm-hmm. So all three of them are friends. Right. So the Zeppo character is filled by a non-brother, but they quickly establish like a, a close relationship and a positive relationship between um, at least those two and Ricardo. And I love the scene where Chico's name in this movie is Fiorello, uh-huh. where Fiorello and Tommaso, who is Harpo, when they meet for the first time on this, like Harpo's up on a second story up above a spiral staircase, and they're like, hey, Tommaso, and he runs down the spiral staircase super fast, <laughs> and then does like gets on his hands and knees and does one more loop on the ground of the spiral <laughs> staircase before he gets up and hugs him. And oh. uh, I always thought that they sped up the, f- the film there, uh-huh. but... Apparently in the commentary track, again, um, they said that that technique is done, but they, they, 
basically drop frames from that to make it look like he's moving super super fast that but they're not it's not sped up at all it's just that there's fewer frames that every now and then they cut a frame out of him going down the stairs so he's moving I thought that was kind of interesting that is really interesting if they do that, and, uh, I think they get each other the same present of a giant oh, sausage. This, okay, Harpo, so I feel like we need to do this a little bit more justice because we used to quote this all the time growing up. Like, hey, Tommaso, whenever <laughs> one of us would come home or something like that. Yes. And then, you know, I would tend to be the more pantomime. So yeah. What Don't be it? so glad. <laughs> I brought you present. I brought you present. <laughs> <laughs> and they pull out a giant thing of like salami or something. <laughs> they both have one for each other. They trade the exact same thing, <laughs> so they trade each other this thing. And Harpo, the <laughs> opera is going on, but he gets this giant axe to cut his open and like makes all this noise backstage, of course, and shushes the axe. Same it, jokes from the something. duck soup scene where he's got to be quiet in the house. Don't you mm-hmm. make a sound? You know, Harpo instantly mm-hmm. <laughs> makes a huge rack. It gets the axe, bow, eats the sausage or salami or whatever it is as he's walking up the stairs, and then, or no. I don't know if he goes back up the stairs. He runs into um, Laspari back here, though. Is oh, he does? Right? Is that right? Or does... Oh, that's that's after the opera. That's but there's the one opera. other joke okay. I wanted to mention while the opera is going on. Okay. Is that uh, we cut to Groucho, Driftwood, that's, outside. That's right. He gets pulls up in a, in a horse-drawn carriage. And uh, he asks the person, did I miss the opera yet? And he's like, no, there's still a few minutes. And he's like, what did I tell you? You should have gone slower. Take me once more around the block. He's <laughs> <laughs> trying to purposely show up late to miss the entire thing. And of course, he, gets, he comes in right as the curtain has, has gone down. And he's like, bravo, bravo. I made it. Did I miss anything? Like, you just missed the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, darn. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Gottlieb is singing the praises of of Laspari during the performance, and and uh, he tries. To, he says that's when he says that he's gonna wants to pay him a thousand dollars a night. And uh, Driftwood, he's like, I need some of that money. So he goes off to try and find Laspari and sign him before Herman Gottlieb can. Mm-hmm. And that's but, uh, when he he runs into Harpo or something. He's like smacking Harpo around or something. He's like mad at Harpo. Laspari is. And, um, yeah, because he was supposed because Tommaso was hired by Gottlieb to deliver a note to Laspari that he wants to meet with him so that they can sign a con- sign him to for the New York Opera Company. And Tommaso instead is banging the little plate that has the message on it and making like music <laughs> instead of delivering the note. And so he gets mad and smacks him around and takes the note and. And, uh, and he's like, oh, "Rosa, I'm looks like my friend Herman Gottlieb is." Uh, wanting to hire me to the New York Opera Company. Maybe he'll let me select my leading lady. Would you like to come with me? And she's like, nope. I've already got a, a prior engagement. And um, Ricardo's like standing you know, shortly in the background. There's a couple feet behind them. And he uh, yeah. you know, smiles and they walk off hand in hand. And Laspari is rejected. <laughs> and so he takes more of his anger out on Tommaso again. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Driftwood comes around and distracts Lesperi long enough for Tommaso to smack him on the head with a mallet. Because <laughs> he gets his big old hammer. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, it. it's like Harley Quinn sized almost. This giant mallet hammer thing. And he knocks him out and he falls on the ground and then he gets uh he gets down on his knees and Groucho's like talking to him and he's like, Oh, smelling salts, huh? And he you know, Harpo pulls out some smelling salts and takes off the top and he's like, Oh, you feel bad, yeah. And, Harper waves oh, the salts yeah, under nodding. his yeah. yeah yeah of course so bad and feels you know wakes him up with the smelling salts and as soon as he sits up Harper boom smacks him on the head again 
<laughs> yeah. But this time he's nice and he puts the mallet underneath his neck. So his head's resting, you know, on the ground on the mallet, you know, so it's a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> and of course, what does Driftwood do? Groucho, he puts, he just stands above him and puts a foot, his foot on the guy's chest mm-hmm. and uh, like shakes some of his the ashes from his cigar on him. <laughs> and uh, Chico comes around and he's like, what happened here? He's like, oh, we got into an argument, so I shot him. And you mind if I... Uh... <laughs> he like, lifts his foot, and he's like, no, go right ahead. And so he, both Chico, put Chico puts his foot on the guy's like knocked out body on the floor. <laughs> That's just so funny. That you mind if I... Uh... <laughs> like... It's so stupid. <laughs> Oh man! And then he's like bartender, uh, and he like fake orders drinks. Uh, Groucho fake orders drinks or something. Oh yeah, um, but two beers, they... bartender. I'll take two beers too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, and, Chico's uh, amazing in this movie. I love Chico. <laughs> of course, there's a disagreement immediately because um, Groucho does not realize that the knocked out man is the greatest tenor in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, he's. He can he confides in Chico that he's looking to sign the greatest tenor in the world, and he's mm-hmm. like, "You are well, I'm his manager." And he's mm-hmm. like, "Who? The greatest tenor in the world? Yeah, sure." <laughs> yep, which uh, you know he's really quote unquote Baroni's manager, or whatever. After that one conversation they had backstage, um, and so they get in this amazing classic scene where they start negotiating the terms of Baroni's contract, which Groucho thinks is the man laying on the floor, Laspari's contract. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course, first Groucho's like, let's see, he's got $1,000 a night. How much can I offer him? And he's like, how about $10 a night? Yep. <laughs> and like, Chico's like, ah, ha, ha, I'll take it. And that's <laughs> when and then they say, all right, well, we got a contract negotiation here. And so Groucho pulls out the contract. And oh, yeah, they this talk is about, one like, of the most famous scenes in the movie. They, you get to the $10 thing, but they do cut the $10 down even more. They cut it down to $3 because they keep taking their fees and stuff like that. And you get a free income tax too. And they're mm-hmm. like, can a man live on $3 uh, you know, in, in New York City? And he's like, oh, sure. Uh, he can live like a prince. He won't be able to eat, but he can live like a prince. <laughs> <laughs> he says a $5 home to his mother. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Anyway, so I then, get ten percent for being the manager, and I get ten percent for negotiating the contract. And, <laughs> yeah, it's so dumb. So then they go into the contract, and the, you have the great quote: "Is like, okay, so the contract begins with the party of the first pot shall be known in this contract as the party of the first pot." He's like, oh, I don't know about like, that. Like, I don't know. How that, <laughs> that sounds. Can you can you read that again? Just um, the first part. Just the first part. And he's like, which part of the first part? The party of the first part? Or the, <laughs> the first like, part? No, the first part of the party of the first part. <laughs> it's such a who's on first kind of thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, so then, you know, they don't like that part and it's confusing Groucho. So he's like, ah, you know what? Let's just do us both a favor and take this part out. So like, <laughs> rip the, <laughs> rip the, the contract. contract. First time they rip the contract. Mm-hmm. And then they start the next phrase. The, yeah, which is the second part. Is, the party of the second part shall be known in this contract as the party of the second part. And <laughs> check out every time. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> He's like, I just, I don't like it. And so they take it out. And then Groucho is like, no, this next part, I know you're not going to like. And okay. And they just go ahead and rip that one. <laughs> and then I don't think you're going to like this part. Well, your word's good enough for me. Okay. Yeah, let's not break up an old friendship for this. <laughs> and rip. And they just keep tearing, tearing. And I love the line. He's like, is my word good enough for you? And Chico's like, I should say not. And he's like, well, that takes out three more. <laughs> <laughs> 
He goes, hey, how come your contract is a skinnier than <laughs> my contract is skinnier than yours, Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> but eventually they get down to the end, and uh, he's like, what is this last part? And he's like, oh, that's in every clause. Uh, he's like, I don't know about it. Yeah. That's that's a sanity clause. He's like, ah, you can't fool me. There, there is no sanity clause. <laughs> yeah, which is, I believe, one of was um, nominated for the AFI best quotes, but, but it did not make it. <laughs> but uh, you can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause. You can't fool and, me. <laughs> uh, eventually, they agree with that piece, and they try to pull out a pen. And he's like, ah, I forgot to tell you, I can't write. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he's like well it doesn't matter there's no ink in the pen anyway <laughs> but they got a contract a verbal contract now pay particular attention to this first clause because it's most important <clears throat> it says the uh, the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the party of the first part how do you like that that's pretty neat eh no it's no good what's the matter with it I don't know let's hear it again Says the uh, the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the party of the first part. Yeah, it sounds a little better this time. Well, it grows on you. Would you like to hear it once more? Uh, just the first part. What do you mean, the the party of the first part? No, the first part of the party or the first part. All right. It says the uh, the first part of the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the first part of the party of the first part. She'll be known in this contract. Look, why should we quarrel about a thing like this? We'll take it right out, eh? <laughs> it's a too long anyhow. Now what do we got left? Well, I got about a foot and a half. Now it says the, the party of the second part should be known in this contract as the party of the second part. Well, I don't know about that. Now what's the matter? I don't like it the second party either. Well, you should have come to the first party. We didn't get home till around four in the morning. I was blind for three days. Hey, look. Why can't the first part of the second party be the second part of the first party? Then you've got something. Well, look, uh, rather than go through all that again, what do you say? Fine. Now, uh, now I've got something here you're bound to like. You'd be crazy about it. No, I don't like it. You don't like what? Whatever it is, I don't like it. Well, don't let's break up an old friendship over a thing like that. Ready? Okay. Now, the next part, I don't think you're going to like. Well, your word's good enough for me. Now then, is my word good enough for you? I should say not. Well, that takes out two more clauses. Now, the party of the eighth part... No, you, no? that's no good, no. The party of the ninth... No, part, that's no. no good, too. Hey, how is it my contract is skinnier than yours? Well, I don't know. You must have been out on the tail last night. But anyhow, we're all set now, aren't we? Oh, sure. Now, just, uh, just you put your name right down there, and then the deal is, is uh, legal. I forgot to tell you, I can't write. No, oh, that's all right. There's no ink in the pen anyhow. But listen, it's a contract, isn't it? Oh, sure. We've got a contract, no, no matter how small it is. Hey, wait, wait. What does this say here, this thing here? Oh, that? Oh, that's the usual clause. That's in every contract. That just says, uh, it says, uh, if any of the parties participating in this contract are shown not to be in their right mind, the entire agreement is automatically nullified. Well, I don't know. It's all right. That, that's in every contract. That's, that's what they call a sanity clause. <laughs> you can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause. And then uh, that's when Gottlieb comes around. That scene, though, it is like pretty long. Um, but they, like, 
I don't know. They like preface it with like ridiculousness too. Um, they like have trouble. Like he's like, okay, go ahead and read it to Chico, and Chico's like, uh, oh, you, you read it, and then he's like, okay, and then he like, I would read it, but I just can't see it, and they like do this whole long thing before they even get to the party. The first part that's equally funny, but anyway, so Gottlieb comes around the corner, and he uh, sees Laspari knocked out on the ground, and and he's like Laspari, and he's like Laspari. That's the he's like. That's the greatest tenor in the world. This guy's been unconscious this whole time, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Well, the, who did I sign?" And he's like, "You signed Ricardo Baroni. He's my guy." <laughs> and so, okay, all right. And uh, Laspari wakes up, and of course, in the background, Harpo unties a rope, and a sandbag falls on Laspari's head, knocks him out for a third time, and that's how the scene <laughs> ends. Amazing, amazing. Where does it go after that? Do they um. They cut to the pier where they're boarding the ship to go to America to That's the right. New York Opera Company. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a couple of jokes here, but the main thrust of this thing is that Rosa is on the boat, Ricardo can't go, and they're singing a song to each other that... Called Alone. Yes, written by Nacio Herb Brown and Arthur Freed, whose music would go on to be featured in Singing in the Rain. Wow. It had and, kind of a uh, Singing in the Rain vibe to this song. And there's another song later on in the movie that is also a Nacio Herb Brown and Arthur Freed song that is featured in Singing in the Rain. Oh, oh yes, it um, is. I, I know what it is already. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we that will. scene comes up. Uh-huh. But uh, they're great singers. This is one of the parts what I would fast forward when I was younger. <laughs> Me too. But I could have to put my finger on the play button on the, v- on the VCR because there are small little moments where the Marx Brothers in between in the middle of the song are doing funny things like mm-hmm. uh groucho runs out to the uh to the to just the like, boat guy or whatever yeah, like is there's quick is there time for me to pay my hotel bill he's like i'm sorry sir and that suits me fine and then he runs off <laughs> real quick joke and then groucho or chico and harpo are running around giving everyone a kiss on the boat oh yeah harpo just and... goes on a kissing rampage <laughs> it's pretty funny but uh so i'd have to like i would want to see these little funny moments so i'd have to stop in the middle of this song so there's real that part of the vhs probably got worn out real quick yeah so um then after that you know it it cuts to um well i thought this is just weird you know they're like going on a, a voyage across the sea and like they let people on the boat on the boat but they also let some people who aren't going on the trip like on the boat initially and like that's why i think harpo is on the boat and yeah, I don't, that's what I don't understand, is like how they were on the boat, but then in coming up soon, we're going to see that they're actually stowaways. Yeah. So, so how are they allowed to get on the boat in the first place to do that joke where they're running and kissing a bunch of people? I think he's running and kissing people like goodbye as he's supposed to get off the boat. I think it's like a short time where people can load the boat and like say goodbye because it's like a big voyage. And that's like, because whenever Kitty Carlisle or Rosa is getting on the boat, she's like come on, Ricardo, come on to the boat with me. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. no, no. And I always thought that it was because he didn't have a ticket, but I think at that point, like, he could have gone on the boat, but then he just stayed, and they did that song from the pier in yeah. the boat. Maybe it was too hard for him to, to get on the boat to say his goodbyes in person. And Harpo, no, it was really easy for him to go on there and, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> say his goodbyes in person. <laughs> say his goodbyes in person. Um, but then, okay, so then we cut to uh, one of the another scene we used to quote all the time as uh, kids. Whenever Groucho is riding his trunk, he's got a guy <laughs> who is like wheeling his giant trunk, and he's just laying on top of it. And they're going through the cabins of the uh, boat that they start off, you know, pretty big. And he sees um, 
he sees uh what's his face herman gottlieb and he's like you know playing with his beard or something he's like mm-hmm. he's beating around the bush huh <laughs> gottlieb <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh then he turns a corner and he sees these three brothers with in like army suits with giant beards and they all look the same and he's like say was that a Three men with one beard, or one beard and three men. I've already said some stupid, some stupid, stupid joke. Three beards. Yeah, Yeah, that's what it was. (laughs) Um, And then he's singing this ridiculous. He's just like doing opera songs for this whole time. He's just like he's singing that thing, the the Pagliacci song about the with the clown with the. Um, Gritty Pinati, or whatever the heck it was we used to yeah. say as kids. <laughs> I love the physical comedy that he sings that part and then immediately crashes into. He's like, Gritty Pagliacci, and then it falls and slams onto the ground. <laughs> so gracefully. <laughs> yeah, it's like a traffic jam. He run, they run into another uh, trunk, and uh, he's like, Are you insured? He tries to like, <laughs> pretend yeah. like it's an auto accident or something, and he. He sells insurance to the staff. He's like, if you lose a leg, we'll help you look for it. And that's what this insurance is for, or whatever. And it's like, and all it costs for you is $1? That's all you got? Okay, that's all it costs. And then he puts the insurance, and I'm doing air quotes, um, in the guy's pocket. And it's really his hotel bill for like $540 or something ridiculous. Okay, okay Groucho. Then he goes around the corner, and he sees Mrs. Claypool's room and gets off and goes in there for a minute invites her over makes a joke about the two beds in her room that's the nice uh, pre-code kind of thing whenever you mm-hmm. got twin beds that means you you're probably gonna sleep with somebody you. yeah and then she's like get out of my bed what are people gonna think and he's like they're gonna think you're a pretty lucky woman <laughs> yeah well and that was apparently a really scandalous thing that he lays down on her bed uh-huh and he like reads a book or he's in stuff and but that was he was in a woman's room and he laid down on their on her bed. Ooh. Oh my gosh, yeah, so risque. Mm-hmm. Um but he invites her over in a couple of minutes to his cabin and her her like stateroom or whatever is enormous, like just so much space. Mm-hmm. Um because you know, she's Mrs. And, Claypool. Yeah, and he also runs into Rosa and he gives her yep. Uh, he's like, I got a prescription for that. She's like crying. And he's like, I think I got just what the doctor ordered. I got a prescription here. And it's a note from Ricardo. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's instantly happier. And he's like, uh, take that every few hours. And he's like, I'm going to run out and grab another prescription because she gave him a hug or whatever. But like this little scene where he's going through the hallway, you meet every character in the movie, basically, yep. in the span of just like two or three minutes. Uh-huh. And it's, um... a, it's a good little moment of just, we got Gottlieb, we got Claypool, we got Rosa, we don't forget about Ricardo, mm-hmm. and then in this, and then he, once he gets to his room, you meet the other characters. But you get to his room, and it's this teeny tiny little stateroom, and he's like, who got this for me? And he's like, oh, Mr. Gottlieb booked this room for you. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, which part did he pick out, the window, or <laughs> did he see the rest <laughs> of the room? And it's like this super, super small little stateroom, and he's got this enormous trunk, and he can't, the trunk's so big, he can't even get into the stateroom. Finally, slams the door shut, opens up his trunk. Boom, there's Ricardo Baroni and Chico. And then uh, there's a little drawer at the bottom of the trunk, and he opens it up, and there's Harpo sleeping. And one of my favorite jokes in the movie from Chico here, he's like, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> like, Don't wake him up. He's got insomnia. He's trying to sleep it off. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so dumb. <laughs> it's, but it is like the most Marx Brothers joke. <laughs> Uh, it yeah, perfectly it. encapsulates their humor i think it's just so absurd and ridiculous and they can't leave the room yet because you know they're 
just like left and they don't want uh you know them to get caught and stuff and they're really hungry and they they want some food um mm-hmm. and they won't leave um what's his face Groucho's room Otis's room um until you know they they're fed and Mrs. Claypool's coming over so Driftwood's like all right I got to get some food here and he goes out into the hall and now we start one of the other greatest scenes in the movie. Yeah. This is the other famous scene in this movie of the, the stateroom scene mm-hmm. where he goes to find the steward to order the food for the for the. Uh, and he's like, steward, brothers. stew, stew. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, there he is. All right. And he's like, what, do you, what kind of uh, what kind of juice you got? We got grape juice, orange juice, pineapple juice. <laughs> Stop the juice. I'm going to get electrocuted. Yeah. <laughs> Like, all right, we'll have one of each mm-hmm. and uh, two this kinds of egg, two this kind of egg, and two, two this kind of egg, and two, two this kind of egg. Two soft-boiled egg, two medium egg, two uh, one over easy or whatever, and uh, two hard-boiled eggs or something. No, he doesn't say and, hard-boiled. Yeah, and Chico says through the door, and two hard-boiled eggs. Yeah, and then Harpo. And, and two, two hard-boiled boiled eggs. And then bah, Harpo honks his horn that he still has. While he's asleep. He's got three hard-boiled <laughs> eggs. Yeah. And then they just keep and then, going, and he'll be like, and then can I get a uh, a salad and a something else, and then and two hard-boiled eggs, and uh, two hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> Make that three hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> and eventually he keeps going, on, and then he's like, Bump. and one duck egg. Yeah, he like does like 12 at one point. It's either foggy out, or, or make that 12 more hard-boiled eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Start. Stuart! Stu! Yes, sir. I say, Stu. Yes, sir. What do we got for dinner? Anything you like, sir. You might have some tomato juice, orange juice, grape juice, pineapple juice. Hey, turn off the juice before I get electrocuted. All right, let me have one of each. And uh, two fried eggs, two poached eggs, two scrambled eggs, and two medium-boiled eggs. And two hard-boiled eggs. And two hard-boiled eggs. Make that three hard-boiled eggs. And uh, some roast beef, rare, medium, well done, and overdone. And two hard-boiled eggs. And two hard-boiled eggs. Make that three hard-boiled eggs. And uh, eight pieces of French pastry. This two hard-boiled eggs. And two hard-boiled eggs. Make that three hard-boiled eggs. And one duck egg. Uh, have you got any stewed prunes? Yes, sir. Well, give them some black coffee. That'll sober them up. And two hard-boiled eggs. And two hard-boiled eggs. It's either foggy out or make that 12 more hard-boiled eggs. And Stuart, rush that along because the faster it comes, the faster this convention will be over. Yes, sir. Do they allow tipping on the boat? Oh, yes, sir. Have you got two fives? Yes, sir. Well, then you won't need the 10 cents I was going to give you. And so then he goes off to go get the food, mm-hmm. and they goes back into the room, and there's a knock on the door, and two people, two housekeepers there have come to make up the room and to make the bed. And he's like, all right, get up, Tommaso, they're here to make the bed. And so he's sleeping on top of, like, the, he's still asleep this whole time, and they're, oh, like, yeah. carrying his sleepless, lifeless body on, out of the way <laughs> so that they can make the bed. So there's six people right now. The three Marx Brothers, Ricardo, and now these two housekeepers in this tiny closet-sized room. And then an engineer comes in to fix something. To turn off the heat, yeah. And then uh, a lady comes and knocks on the door for a manicure. And mm-hmm. Groucho's... Make the... Do you want your nails long or short? 
<laughs> yeah, better make them short. We, can't, we don't have much room in here. <laughs> yeah. And then um, yeah. another engineer's assistant, that's who right. is this huge fat guy. <laughs> He's really tall, really big. And uh, so that's nine people are in the room right now. And then some girl comes in, um, who's just looking for her aunt. Yeah, is my aunt Minnie in here? <laughs> so stupid. He's like, I don't know, but if she's not, I bet you could find somebody just as good. <laughs> so we got ten people in here, and then another knock. I came to mop up someone with a mop, just the woman I'm looking for. <laughs> they got eleven people and in this tiny, tiny room. Food comes finally, and it's four waiters, each with a tray full of food, probably full of eggs. <laughs> So that's 15 people plus all these trays of food plus all of the engineer and the engineer's assistant's equipment and the person with the manicure's got all of her stuff and they're all piled in here and, and they're like, hey, the food's here, Tommaso. And of course his lifeless body just falls asleep on top of all of the trays of food. It is insane how many people they get in this place. And then, then this, the 16th person comes, Mrs. Mrs. Claypool. Claypool. And she opens the door, and it's one of those scenes where they took out some frames because it's a little sped up, and they all tumble mm-hmm. out of the room really quick. Yeah, just like if you were to open up a overstuffed closet and all the, st- all the stuff that you had in there just tumbles out immediately. Like, pe- pers- you know, like people after people just keep fallen out and and that's the end of that scene like i think that is probably the most famous scene in the movie and then maybe the sanity clause scene uh-huh. is a second place but yeah it has it's to so be. great it is classic classic comedy yep and you know we've always growing up our you know dad loves to tell these jokes and uh just the amount of times we've said and two hard-boiled eggs you know and, mm-hmm. and a partridge and a pear tree and we just keep adding mm-hmm. on things because of this scene um, yeah, that, that joke is definitely ingrained into my comedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so then we cut to the final night of the voyage where there's, it, it reminded me a lot of Titanic. Um, you have like the upper class people are having this fancy sit down dinner to honor uh, the three bearded men that he passed, which are these famous aviators and they're being honored on on board the boat and mrs claypool and gottlieb and driftwood are there and at this sit down dinner the awesome line he's like famous aviators huh and he's like why are they traveling by boat <laughs> yeah <I'm> so stupid <laughs> and then then but then just like in titanic you have like the lower class people on the boat that are having like this much more lively fun kind of dinner celebration where mm-hmm. um harpo chico and ricardo sneak out of their room and they find this huge big dinner feast and they load up on they it go through this crazy. buffet line they give them just so much food it's um first off the bowls of pasta and spaghetti they have look so delicious it's black so and white good. but it, looks it makes me so, so hungry good. every time <laughs> it's the most full the most like spaghetti i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and they just pile the food on there and harpo's face is perfect it's just <laughs> dumbfounded shocked but also super excited face about how much food he's getting his his mouth is just wide open the whole time his eyes just he doesn't blink he's just like and they just keep piling on they get like a whole loaf of bread like some a whole like thing of grapes and like some tomatoes and like uh a giant like one of them gets like an entire pineapple yeah (laughs) just like so much stuff Um, and then it cuts to them just like scrape, like licking their plates clean. Basically, they've eaten all of it, and they're all happy and like, "Well, I feel like singing and dancing." And Ricardo gets up and sings, 
Kosi Kosa. The one song Which... that I like in this movie. <laughs> the one song we didn't <laughs> fast forward through when we were kids. There's an old Italian affray. It's an old Italian crazy. Every little bambino says it a very fast day. Every sweet signorino says it. Does it mean no? Well, yes and no. It's a wonderful thing. Tra la la la. So it's basically. Does it mean yes? No. Does it mean no? Well, yes and no. So it's a fun song, and you know you have all these dancers that are in these big flowy dresses that are flipping around and twirling and and. It's fun. I mean, there's there's no real point to it, I think, except to show off all of the costumes and dance dancers that they had at their disposal. I think (laughs) there's really no other reason for it. No, they're just happy they finally got food because all their food that they ordered just got crashed whenever everyone fell out of their room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're so happy with their bellies full and entertaining the entire entire boat um, because that's what they are. These these three brothers, including Alan Jones, uh, Ricardo Baroni, they're just so talented. Um, mm-hmm. That Cosico Saw song is awesome. And then he goes into, uh, it goes into Chico playing piano where we have that other Sing in the Rain song. All yep. I do the whole day th- through is dream of you. He's playing it on the piano. Mm-hmm. And he's playing and it's it. so good. It's we had, so We didn't good. get to talk about Chico's piano playing in the last movie because he didn't do it. So I was looking forward to this because he, yeah. for my... My money, in uh, he is the best piano player I've ever seen. He's just so entertaining. Like you know, he does all these cool little uh, tricks. It's just really entertaining to watch. Um, they're just—he's such a good performer. All of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so good. He's such a good performer. He's funny just playing the piano. He—I he, don't know how you can play the piano in a funny and like amazing, talented way, but he is the only one that I. He's the only. He is my favorite piano player. <laughs> Yeah, he's got. I'm not gonna say that, but <laughs> he is really, really impressive. And yeah, his style is just so unique and so entertaining, and it's just so performative. You know, he's you know dragging a finger across all the keys, and he's just playing with one finger on his right hand. And, you know, he's playing you know solid chords with his right or with his left, and you know looking at the crowd sometimes too, and people are laughing. And, He'll do a little thing where he, you know, acts like his hand's a gun when he's playing, you know, his right hand, mm-hmm. like, ding, ding, and he'll, like, shoot those keys, you know. Just, it's perfect. It, it's perfect. It's awesome. And yeah, everyone loves and it. And he's all self-taught. All self-taught. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. I didn't read that. That's incredible. Yeah, they, they're all, and Harpo, he goes to play the harp, and he's self-taught as well. Well, he, um, according to, I've got, he does the piano stuff first. He does. The, he gets on the piano first and just makes all of the kids crack up with his piano playing. I remember thinking like he was the funniest person alive when I saw the scene, and it was probably because all the other kids were like, when I was a kid watching this, I thought he was the funniest person ever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just so 
he first he sits down. He doesn't sit. He spins the chair. It's a little circular piano chair. He spins it all the way up, <laughs> and then uh, you know plays something. And he he plays well. Harpo, I read he used to, he taught himself piano also. Um, yeah. He plays it like a harp, and he plays it all super loud and aggressive and stuff. And, and he does a little and thing. And accidentally slams his hand in the thing. <laughs> yeah, spins the chair all the way back down to the ground and then accidentally slams both of his hands and makes all these faces and pretends that his hands are dead and, you know, in so much pain after the little piano cover he just slaps on his hand. Um, and then he goes to the harp and shakes off the, the pain on his fingers and then he goes to the harp. And, yeah, I read that he did teach himself um, and he had, like, an old harp or something and he actually tuned it incorrectly. Um, and so he taught himself how to play the harp incorrectly <laughs> um, but he had this incredible style and he just did it so well he said later on he went back and learned how to replay the harp um, the correct way and he had this one um, other professional harpist who he would have on the movies to help him out with difficult pieces and things um, but Harpo plays the song that Ricardo sings to Rosa and Rosa sings to him whenever they're at the boat the alone song mm-hmm. um, yeah, he, he plays that again amazingly and you know now that I've I play musical instruments now and I've got much more appreciation for music. Um, I, I love this scene. I was kind of a little mad at myself for fast forwarding it, fast forwarding through it as a kid. But yeah, harp Yeah, because when I'm a kid, I'm like, the harp is probably like the most boring instrument in the world. <laughs> it's just so, yes, uh, light and angelic kind of. And yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to get interested in. But I don't know, now I've got some you know technical appreciation and stuff and it, it is incredible. Unfortunately, while they're playing, Laspari comes down and he sees them and he's like, he alerts the staff that they have to be stow, there must be stowaways. Yep. And uh, so they go and catch them and lock all three of them up in a detention cabin. Mm-hmm. They're in the detention cabin and then um, what do they do? Harpo, they do a little gag where the boat's clearly rocking and um, Harpo, or no, Harpo's playing. <laughs> He's. Chico's pacing, and Harpo's playing like a. It's not a harmonica. It sounds like a kazoo. But he's playing yeah, like it a. It does sound like a kazoo, but I think it's supposed to be like a harmonica. Yeah, and he's playing with his mouth, and he just keeps playing faster and faster, and Chico keeps pacing faster and faster until finally Chico and grabs And he's playing Cosico Saw. Yeah, he is. That's right. Um, and he grabs the thing from, his mouth, from Harpo's mouth and opens up the window while the boat's up, and he throws the, har- or the harmonica out the window and closes it. And then the boat tilts and Harpo opens up the window and all of this water gushes into the boat, mm-hmm. <laughs> into their room. And but then, uh, they're in the detention cabin where they can open the window. <laughs> and so eventually Harpo goes out the window and, and like Groucho's also hanging out the window and he throws him some rope and he's able to escape through, a, through the, uh, this rope that's attached to some sort of crane pulley system or something. Yeah. Which and comically dips him and drags him really high in the air and dips him in the water over and over again. But mm-hmm. but eventually he climbs through the window of the three aviators who are s- three brothers that are sleeping in the same bed. Um, and uh, he, for some reason, gets this idea that he's going to... He finds some scissors because, again, Harpo just <laughs> loves to cut things off with scissors, <laughs> as we learned in the last movie. Yes. <laughs> And so he decides to cut their beards off. And there's a little funny 
joke where he lifts up one of their beards and a butterfly flies out from underneath it and he's trying to cut the butterfly with the scissors and it gets away but then he goes back and starts cutting the beard and the scene ends there um, which is, was pretty cool little effect it looked like the butterfly was like added in somehow or something um, yeah i'm not certain how they added that in i imagine they probably cool little editing drew technique. it on the frame or something mm-hmm. um but, yeah uh, and then it cuts to where does it cut after that they've arrived in new york they're at the harbor and there's a big hero's welcome that's being held for the aviators Mm -hmm. and uh driftwood announces himself as their interpreter and uh we cut to he goes to the aviator's room and they open the door and they're all tied up and uh tomaso fiorello and baroni uh, ricardo are dressed up like the three aviators with wearing their beards and uh all right so that's how they're going to sneak off the boat Yep. disguised as the three aviators but they have to go make speeches at this reception first that's right, that's right. so first chico gets up there and he's just and is amazing like this is just i love him he's so funny at this scene talks about um he's like we were gonna tell you the story of how we uh became great aviators or something like that but we don't tell you <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> instead uh we're gonna tell you another story of how we came to america he's like so um the first time we tried to fly over to america we got about halfway and we ran out of gas so we had to go back <laughs> and then the second time uh, we bring extra gas and this time we get so close we're about three feet from landing and what do you know we run out of gas so we have to go back <laughs> <laughs> and the third time we bring up plenty of gas <laughs> what he says. but we forgot the plane <laughs> forgot the plane yes that was stupid and then so we so give up we you go for it go ahead no, it's all you. <laughs> no, he's like, so then we go back and, and uh, what do we, we, how are we going to do it? We, we not take a gas. We don't take an airplane. We take a steamship. And that is how we fly across the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> What'll I say? Tell them you're not here. Suppose they don't believe me. They'll believe you when you start talking. Friends! Talk fast. I see a man in the crowd with a rope. How we happen to come to America is a great story, but I don't tell that. When we first started out, we got an idea you give us this grand reception. We don't deserve it. And when I say we don't deserve it, believe me, I know what I'm talking about. Eh? That's a novelty. So now I tell you how we fly to America. The first time we started, we get a halfway across when we run out of gasoline, and we got to go back. Then I take a twice as much gasoline. This time we were just about to land, maybe three feet. When what do you think? We run out of gasoline again. And the back we go again and get the more gas. This time I take a plenty gas. Well, we get a halfway over. When what do you think happened? We forgot the airplane. So we got to sit down and we talk it over. Then I get the great idea. We not take a gasoline. We not take the airplane. We take a steamship. And that, friends, is how we fly across the ocean. I'm going out and arrange your bail. Yeah, like, okay, that people is are, weird. Yeah, people are starting to Harpo's give him turn. sketchy looks, and then, yep, Harpo goes up there, and I forget uh, what Groucho says or something like that. He's like, <laughs> what he's like what he says to Harpo, he's like, do you want me to, uh, uh, what does he say, not shoot you or something like that? He's like, do you want me to, <laughs> something like that? I don't like remember that. either. Some, like, quick little line or something. Like, oh, things are about to get good here. This guy's not going to say a word. This is the mayor again. And now I take great pleasure in introducing another of our heroes who will tell you something of his exploits. 
foot. From now on, it's every man for himself. I would suggest you make your speech a little more direct than your brother's. What'll you give me to set fire to your beard? <laughs> mm -hmm. So his strategy is just to continuously drink water. Mm -hmm. And uh, the beard is coming off because of all the water that he's drinking. And a police officer becomes suspicious and basically chases them away. Yep. Runs off stage and then it shows a newspaper article like uh, three frauds or something stowawayed into the country. I forget mm -hmm. what it was. Um, and they're in Driftwood's hotel room, I guess, and uh, having breakfast and Harpo's eating everything, including a tie and... Oh, he gets uh, two pancakes and a, a teacup, and he puts one pancake on the bottom and one pancake on the top, and then he offers it to Chico, and she goes, oh, no, I don't like a cupcake. <laughs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> I forgot about that joke. <laughs> that one cracks me up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he eats everything. And he, like, inflates a, a, a glove and looks like a cow's udder that he's pouring, you know, he's squeezing milk into coffee. his coffee and onto <laughs> Groucho's forehead and all kinds of stuff. That scene, I just imagine that's what it was like breakfast at their household. Just like, yeah, just fucking chaos. <laughs> Absurd. <laughs> um, then they hear a knock on the door and who is it? And then a knock again. Like, if it's the police, knock once more. Da, 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 da. That's good enough for me. So they go and hide <laughs> and it's the police officer from the reception. And he's like, I'm looking for some stowaways. And, and basically this just mass chaos of. They're going in one door. They're going out onto the balcony through the uh, into the other room, and they're just all constantly moving furniture throughout these two rooms. It is mayhem. It is mayhem. They're just trying to confuse, and it's pretty hilarious. This is how they escape the detective. They like uh, they move all these beds and all this furniture out of the side room, and then it gets to a point where they pretend to be other people. Um, and Groucho does this absurd, not Groucho, Harpo does this absurd face where he puffs up his cheeks and like does this weird thing with his tongue and his eyes pop out kind of and mm -hmm. put on a little like a uh, little thing on his head and he looked like an old lady and Chico pretended to be a rocking chair and then <laughs> and he's like knitting in this he's, like, knitting. Yeah. And um, like, oh, I'm sorry. I went into the wrong room. Yeah. And then it just kind of resolves. I guess the detective runs away and they just get to stay with Driftwood. <laughs> yep. He's had enough. And so he leaves and then. We cut to Rosa in her room, and she's playing piano and singing, and Ricardo enters her room through the window, and mm -hmm. they have a nice little moment, but then Laspari comes in and ruins it and tries to flirt with Rosa, but Ricardo can't help himself, and he was in hiding, and he comes out and ends up punching Laspari, because mm -hmm. um, he just can't abide the flirting. Yep. And uh, then Laspari tells them about... Um... He like sets them up or something and gets Rosa fired and gets uh, Groucho fired. It cuts to yeah. Groucho going to his office and there's somebody taking his name off of his door, taking off driftwood off of his door. Mm -hmm. um, and he goes into Gottlieb's office and he's like, what's the meaning of this? And there's like the detective and uh, Miss Claypool and Laspari and Gottlieb mm -hmm. in there, like all the villains and Miss Claypool in there. Um, and they're like, yep, you're they fired. Said Mrs. Claypool is dispensed of his services due to him associating with the stowaways. And so he's fired. Yeah, they've removed his name off the door. And he's not even allowed to use the elevator. He gets kicked down like four flights of stairs. Oh, man. Yeah. The stunts in this movie. But that one had to be so painful. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he gets kicked out at the door and it cuts to a park bench and and then he, they're all, all four of them are sitting on the bench, on one bench, and they push, and uh, Groucho falls off the park bench, and 
like can't even get i'm getting kicked off a park bench and then a police officer comes by and is like get off the grass and so it's just like insult adding insult to injury yeah um but then they get an idea is that what they do they yeah because rosa then arrives and reveals that she's been fired for for spurning lesperi's advances basically he got her fired because she didn't want to sleep with him or something yep and that's when they come up with a plan. We don't get to see what the hear what the plan is, mm-hmm. um, but th- they just get run off excited because they've got a plan. And, mm-hmm. and it and, cuts uh, to the opera, right? Yeah, we cut back to the theater for the opening night performance, and all four of them are in Gottlieb's office smoking and drinking. Mm-hmm. And, and they say that they're willing to give themselves up if Rosa is allowed to sing, um, but he declines, and then so Harpo knocks him unconscious. <laughs> like, <laughs> Got his mallet. Oh, there's one other time yeah. um, in the hotel room when Harpo gets to use his mallet. Just a stupid little bit of um, comedy where, like, Chico and Harpo are in the same little fold-out cot bed. It's not even a bed mm-hmm. with a mattress. It's like a little cot. And they're in the same one. There's an empty one right next to him with an alarm clock in it. It starts going off. And just, like, a really relatable <laughs> thing. Instead of hitting snooze, Harpo grabs the mallet in his sleep and just, whoop and smacks the heck out of the alarm <laughs> clock. <laughs> With without opening his eyes or moving anything except for his arm. Yep, <laughs> it's such great physical comedy. I could definitely relate to that some mornings. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so he uses his mallet again and knocks out Gottlieb, and then they're off to do chaos. <laughs> yep, and so one of the first things that they do is Harpo and Chico replace some of the sheet music with um, for the orchestra with "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." <laughs> And then Groucho goes upstairs. Pay off later. Oh, it pays off like almost instantly. Um, then Groucho goes up and Miss Gottlieb or Miss Claypool's thing, and he gives a speech, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Gottlieb has been tied up without his clothes in his office, so he's not there to introduce the opera. So, well, I guess Drift Drift was like, oh, I guess I'll do it, because mm-hmm. Miss Claypool's like, I don't like to speak in public, and he's like, Oh, you don't? Okay, I got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I forget what he He's says. happy to take the attention. Yeah, he says something. Oh, he says something about her checks. He's like, uh, um, thanks. Like, this opera's put on thanks to the uh, checks of Mrs. Claypool here. And everyone gives her an applause. Um, and he's like, and uh, I know you'll enjoy the show tonight and everything. And uh, tomorrow we'll all return home. Just like um, the checks that Miss Claypool will have, they'll return <laughs> those too. <laughs> you, you better say something. But I never made a speech in my life. All right, I'll take care of it. You? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I guess that takes in most of you. This is the opening of a new opera season, a season made possible by the generous checks of Mrs. Claypool. I am sure the familiar strains of Verdi's music will come back to you tonight, and Mrs. Claypool's checks will probably come back in the morning. Tonight marks the American debut of Rodolfo Lasparri. Senior Les Barry comes from a very famous family. His mother was a well-known bass singer, and his father was the first man to stuff spaghetti with bicarbonate of soda, thus causing and curing indigestion at the same time. And uh, then I feel like at that point... Yeah, Gottlieb... No, I think Chico and Harper go Gottlieb in the office. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. And he, he's broken free, and he calls the police, so the police are on their way. And then we see... Um, Harpo and Chico have joined the orchestra as two additional conductors, and they're like, I'll take this section over here. <laughs> you take that section over there. <laughs> and then they're like, tapping the little baton on the thing. And eventually, 
the conductor's like, no, no, no. And he's like waving the baton, like wagging his finger at Harpo. And he does the same thing back and approaches him and just starts fencing, sword biting with his little <laughs> conductor batons. <laughs> so great. Uh, and then I think Harpo was actually using like a uh, a bow or something like a violin Oh, yeah, it's a violin bow. bow. And then he takes it, I think, from the guy next to him. Uh, mm-hmm. and, but then Harpo goes into the trombone. And um, they actually start playing. And you can see Chico on the piano. Um, but then Harpo is playing the trombone just inappropriately, like a in the middle of these opera songs. <laughs> and meanwhile, Gottlieb has arrived and he comes into the box, and Driftwood climbs over into the next box with the Tarzan yell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the music started, and. And eventually they all flip the page, and instead of like, boom, 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 they're going to take me out to the ball game. Harpo Chico get a glove and a ball. They start immediately playing catch. Groucho appears and starts selling peanuts to the crowd. (laughs) And then uh, the playing catch isn't enough, and so Harpo grabs that, probably the same guy who he grabbed the violin bow. He grabs the violin and <laughs> uses it as a bat and smacks the ball. <laughs> breaks the breaks the yeah, breaks the violin to pieces. And then I think they kind of run away from the uh the pit there. <laughs> and now from here until the basically the end of the movie is when my DVD was kind of messing up. So you might need to take some of the lead. I I got some of the po- points from memory of mm-hmm. what happens in the, but you might have to take the lead in discussing kind of what goes down in the rest of this movie. So they kind of run off because Gottlieb is near the opera pit, and he, they, uh, Harpo and Chico see him. And they're like, "Okay, hey, let's get going." And so they go and they put on costumes, and so they're like, um, they're mm-hmm. in drag and they're like dancing in the opera. Um, and yeah, they're Gott- on stage now. Yeah, they're, they're on stage. It's total chaos. <laughs> yeah, they're the performers now. And um, I forget you don't Harpo. He's just like hiding in random places. He just like keeps popping up in like different booths, and he's just kind of. Um, like crawling around in the opera and hiding from the police in the audience, and then those yeah, two and are they're on like stage. doing like a dance on stage where like the police are on on the side of the stage, just mm-hmm. off stage, and they'll like swing around near them, and the police will like reach out for them and miss them, and <laughs> they're just like having to like narrowly dodge the police all the time. Yep, and um, then Harpo does some like pretty like un- kind of uncomfortable stuff. He's got like a couple of weird physical things here that probably wouldn't be too cool these days but um there's like a scene where there's this dancer and this guy and she's wearing this long dress and then the guy like rips the dress and it becomes like a mini skirt and then harpo sees that and he's like oh and then he rips that (laughs) dress off of her and so she's like in her underwear and then that like i was like oh that's a little uncomfortable but then harpo just goes off and then he rips like two or three other dresses off of girls right behind him (laughs) he just Mm -hmm. like rip 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 just doing full anarchy um and then they do like i don't know they just kind of mess around on stage a little bit um and then there's a scene where uh chico spots someone again on the side of the stage and then harpo kind of runs off the stage and you don't see him for a minute and uh gottlieb is like by the curtain he's like about to smack uh, chico with like a a frying pan and then <laughs> yeah. the detective sees gottlieb and i guess they haven't met up yet and the detective gets a frying pan he sneaks behind gottlieb and gottlieb like lifts one two and then he gets smacked on the back of the head and then harpo comes out of nowhere with his mallet and smacks the detective on the head and like, boom boom so both of those guys are gone um for a second you know and then um chico kind of 
disappear. Maybe he just ha- keeps hanging out on stage, and we keep cutting to Groucho. Um, and then it's mostly Harpo. Harpo becomes like the target for yeah, these people. Really, after the that. star of this this part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he, he forget how he. Oh, I know. So he chases. He runs off stage, and he starts climbing the set. And so the cops. But how like he gets of, up there is one of the most hilarious things ever. No, not not that not that for he doesn't do it right off the bat. Oh, okay. He like climbs like the wood and stuff first, and gets mm, up okay. there, and then he does a bunch of acrobatics. In it, I mean, some of it's him on like wires. You can tell he's going up and down on mm-hmm. the uh, sets and stuff. And every time he swings on something, it cuts to Laspari singing. And he's, like, trying to do a big scene. You know, this is his first performance in the United States in New York. And he's, like, trying to make a big name for himself. And then the sets just keep rapidly changing behind him and uh, Mm -hmm. drops another scene. And he's in front of a train. And now he's in a different place, you know, just. There's eventually he's, like, in front of, like, a war, like, a battleship. Yeah, (laughs) that's what it is. (laughs) It's a big modern boat. (laughs) And, um. Yeah, then he's, like, doing, Harpo's up there, like, escaping the cops and doing all sorts of, like, trapeze tricks and things. And eventually he gets to um, the light booth and um, shuts off the lights and um, Chico kidnaps Laspari. Chico and Groucho, they hide and they, like, go up in, like, a piece of set up in the air and they're, like, suspended up there with Laspari tied up. Like, Mm -hmm. the lights shut off while Laspari's singing and then you hear him go, like, ah! And then he stops singing. And the lights come back on. Um, and then they almost have Harpo. He's like on top of some set and some cops are climbing out. And there's this door on top of this like <laughs> this draft. And he does one of the best falls ever. He's just dumb and like looks. Oh, hey, there's a door. There's probably some a room there. Opens up the door and full committed just puts one foot out and just whoo, falls like a looney <laughs> tune. Falls just, all the way all the way rips the entire backdrop and then he does his amazing thing okay that's when it is they got like a one they got Gottlieb on one side and they got the detective and they've got some bushes and they're about to go out into the middle of the set and trap him like they've got him here and you can take it for this part this used to crack me up so much he does one like one of the guys like does like the Khmer fig finger to him and like he does the same thing that Harpo like (laughs) playfully does it back to him which always made me laugh but then he's like surrounded and he's got nowhere to go. And so he just, he runs up the backdrop of the behind the, the like behind a, the stage. A cloth he, backdrop. <laughs> it's this cloth loose draped, draping that he just <laughs> runs all the way up. And it, I don't know how they shot it or what. It's got to be just like he's attached to some wires. Yes. And his, he just got the running motion. But uh, it looks so funny. <laughs> it is so hilarious. It cracked me up so hard as a kid. Yeah, you know, he runs right up, and you know they go on with the the chase stuff, and then uh, I forget how it ends. Um, well, basically, because they've captured Laspari, and they convince Gottlieb, because they're like the show has to keep going, and so right. they eventually convince Gottlieb to have Ricardo and Rosa replace fill in and finish the opera, mm-hmm. and that's what the final shot scenes of the movie is just that ricardo and rosa are finally starring co-starring in the opera together mm-hmm. and singing the climax of the opera to one another and, and the, the audience goes stops. crazy yeah they go crazy and uh the movie the, the final shot of the movie is then okay so we know that ricardo and rosa are stars and so 
now the movie ends with Chico and uh, Groucho negotiating another contract to, for Ricardo's new contract with this opera. And like, all right, the party of the eighth party. No, no. And they're tearing it again. <laughs> the party of the ninth. No. And they just keep tearing out parts of the contract as the end comes onto the screen and credits roll. And that is the end of A Night at the Opera. God, I love that movie. So it good. is very, very good. It's um, it was a huge hit at the box office, and it made one point eight million dollars um, in nineteen thirty five. It, according to the American Film Institute, it's not only the number eighty five greatest movie of all time, but it's the number twelve best comedy of all time. Damn. And like I mentioned before, the Sanity Clause line was nominated for their best quotes. Um, but uh, and the movie itself was nominated in their in their list of best movie musicals, but it didn't make the best movie quotes or the mu- movie musicals list. Oh, wow. um, so that's really much all I have on the reception of the movie and the movie itself. So um, you got anything else? And if you're not, what makes this movie great for you? Uh, no, I, re- I don't have anything else. Um, what, I'll just go into what makes it great for me. Um, well, obviously I'm biased. I love the Marx Brothers and I love this movie. Um, loved it before I even knew it was on the list. It was one of those movies that mm-hmm. the list we had at home hanging up on the back of that uh, front room door there. I definitely could put my initials on. I was only like, you know, 10 or 12 whenever that list, we put that up. And uh, <laughs> it definitely could cross this one off. Um, it's always been one of my faves. The Marx Brothers are all like they're, I talked about it briefly in the last one. There's four of us, you know, and there's four Marx Brothers. In this movie, there's three of them. And then there's Margaret Dumont. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then, I don't know, there's, she's like the classic. But um, I, I love how the, their chemistry, I just always thought that it was so fun and always loved the idea of just getting to perform and play with your brothers and your siblings and just on stage and um, their humor is amazing and that the humor withstands the test of time. It um, really does. Now that I know that the harsh edits and the hard cuts and stuff were because of, you know, World War II and they were editing out like Italy and stuff like that, I was going to kind of knock it for its editing, but no, you know, that makes sense. Um, that wasn't their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, the sets were great. The music was great. Um, I mean, you know, some people I know, they're like, I don't, I don't like black and white movies. This one is worth it. You know, it's, it's still amazing. This is a great movie. Mm-hmm. I think it deserves to be on the list. I think so too. Um, and I, I just, uh, I echo everything that you said. Um, I think that the stateroom scene is one of the most famous comedy scenes ever. And if you're a fan of comedy, it's worth it just to go on YouTube and watch that scene, if not to check out this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the contract scenes with the party of the first part is so good. Um, if, the, if Duck Soup is really the peak of their like anarchic craziness of the early brothers, Marx Brothers movies, then I'd say this is the kind of the peak of their later, more story-driven movies, even if it was the very next movie they made. It's kind of really the start of the new era, and Duck Soup was the end of their first era. Um, I agree. And really their career, I feel like, is kind of, it's Duck Soup, <clears throat> excuse me, it's Duck Soup and before, and then it's Night at the Opera and after. Mm-hmm. Um, it really can be divided that way. And so um, since this is our last Marx Brothers movie on the list, oh. I do want to highlight if you are, if you enjoyed our discussions on these movies, or if you like these movies, please, I would, if you like Duck Soup, I'd really recommend you check out Monkey Business or Horse Feathers. Those mm-hmm. are my two personal favorite other movies from the early period. And then if you like A Night at the Opera, I think A Day at the Races and A Night in Casablanca are their better later movies. Um, they're so, they're all really funny. They're 
perfect early Hollywood comedy movies. Um, this one is is one of their greatest. I don't. I think I would give the edge to Duck Soup if I had to. Same. Um, but this is deserving of its spot on the list, and I do think it is a great movie. I agree. Oh man. All right. Well, that's that's it for the discussion on A Night at the Opera. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, what do we got next week, brother? Yeah, I'm sad to leave the Marx Brothers behind. Um, but next episode, we have another movie from 1935, um, Mutiny on the Bounty, starring Clark Gable. So oh, our second okay. Clark Gable movie. Okay, um, Clark. And I'm excited. I've never seen this one before. Yeah, I've never seen this one either. This is going to be it's good. It's ranked number 86 on the original list, and it was not ranked on the 10th anniversary list. Okay, um, so, so just like one movie worse than this one? Okay. <laughs> right. It's basically the same ranking as this one, because the Night at the Opera was not ranked on the original list and then was 85 on the 10th anniversary list. So it's like almost like they swapped out Mutiny on the Bounty and replaced it with the Night at the Opera. Gotcha. Um, so well, I'm excited to go check that one out for the first time. and. Uh, that's been what makes it great this week. So my name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time. 